Hi everybody, my name is Pat Hogarty and welcome back to California Real Estate Principles, Real Estate 300. Tonight we're going to change it up and do something a little bit different. As I've mentioned, and I think uh, last week I mentioned to you that we were going to have somebody come in and be a guest speaker. And I've also sent out an email to everybody to let you know that we were going to have a guest speaker tonight who's going to be a home inspector. And one of the things that I wanted to mention to you is the fact that whenever we are getting ready to purchase a home nowadays, the homes are getting to be very, very expensive. The equipment, the materials, the different types of systems in them are very complicated. A lot of people nowadays, unless they're kind of a little bit like I am, but I can't subscribe to the fact that I can do all of this, but a lot of people don't know how to fix things when they go wrong. And plus, uh, our friends in the plumbing business and the electricians charge a lot of money to get things repaired. And there are certain things in a house that cost a lot of money if they go wrong. So what I thought was really important is that we bring in somebody that ha uh, does something called home inspections. And uh, his name is Andy Dixon. And Andy uh, will be coming up here on camera in a second once Bob switches over. And Andy has, uh, Andy's going to be spending some time tonight. He's also, we call him a home inspector, but in reality he's really what we call a real estate inspector. So he can do inspections on single-family homes, multiple-family homes, apartment houses, in fact, the you know uh, office buildings, shopping centers, whatever. He's really looking for the fact of, as he does his inspection, what might he may possibly find that's wrong or incorrect, and then he's going to be producing a report that'll show all of those different types of defects. And what I'd like to do for a minute, as usual, is I'd like to start off by uh, introducing Andy. And uh, have Andy just take a minute and tell us a little bit about himself and how he ended up in this thing called home inspection. So you go ahead, Andy. Yes, thanks. And, and Pat, I appreciate the chance, the invitation to come tonight. Really enjoy the chance to be here. Uh, it turns out that uh, most people who are real estate inspectors today probably didn't grow up wanting to be a home inspector when they grew up. Uh, most of us uh, in, the, in this profession got there by one of the building trades, general contracting, framing, painting, whatever. My case is a little bit different. I came in the back door. My uh, education and career has been in uh, engineering and engineering management, so I bring a slightly different viewpoint to the occupation. Okay. and. Uh Anyway, you were telling us a little bit about, uh, you're going to tell us, I guess you have a PowerPoint ready for I us do. tonight. And uh -huh. so you're going to be telling a number of things you're going to be talking about. First of all, talking a little bit, if I remember correctly, we're going to talk about why we need an inspector, if I remember correctly. So mm -hmm. why, why in the world do we even need one? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's something that's been discovered in the last number of years. We're also going to talk about how we go about selecting inspector. Mm -hmm. And then what is the process that we go through? So if you'd be so kind to go ahead and tell us a little bit about you know, uh, you know, uh, if we will, why we need it? Why do we need an inspector? Why do we even need somebody to come out here and take care of this for us? Well, you've already done a very good job of describing it. You're absolutely right. Homes today are a whole lot more complex, and uh, generally, the level of specialization in our society is. Uh, you go to some parts of the country, folks. Still, uh, everyone knows how to lay brick. But in today's modern information age, not everybody knows how to fix their home or knows something wrong. In fact, it's common when I inspect a home or, or a commercial building, I find things and bring them to the attention of the owner that they had no idea existed. Homes are being more complex, and the technology we're seeing today is um, there's a whole lot more electronics, a whole lot more control, um, things that the average person may not have an in-depth understanding. That's where the real estate inspector comes in. So what you're essentially saying is, is that, and I think I can kind of identify with that, you know, you can live in a house for a whole bunch of years, 
Uh, in fact, I think when I was getting ready to sell my house a couple years ago, we had a home inspector. And actually, I didn't hire the home inspector. The buyer did. And the home inspector at that time found things that were not right with the house. And uh, they were things that, uh, in a lot of cases, we end up just living with on a day-to-day -day basis and just accepting. And then when the inspector comes in and says, oh, by the way, you know that, this, uh, that the toilet is loose or you know, the, the gas burner doesn't work right, or even in some cases, hey, you know, the water is, is opposite, or, you know, the hot is where the cold is, and the cold is where the hot is. So, anyway, go ahead and just tell us some okay. of the other things then. And, uh, by the way, lest anybody get the wrong idea, I really do seek for a balance in my writing of my report. I'm not going to try and be too terribly picky. I'm a pretty detail-oriented guy. I'm also not going to gloss over something, and, and that balance is one of the professional challenges we have as home inspectors. So write that report that's not, not picking everything to death and also not painting a glowing picture of, of the house. So what you're saying is that you don't want to really be a home inspector with somebody that's going to be what we call a deal killer which sometimes right. uh, we hear attorneys will get that That's reputation right. because they can find right. every single solitary thing wrong with it. That's right. So your purpose is not really to kill the deal right. or to make the buyer not willing to buy the house. You're really there to inform them, right? That, that's exactly right. And in fact, that's, um, uh, that's one of the things that I, that I hope to do. I, I hope to add value to the real estate deal by bringing, it, uh, bringing that balance and by bringing that information to a buyer who may not know. We've also, in the very hot market, as you know, people come up from the Bay Area, they may make an offer on a house sight unseen, contingent on getting a home inspection. So they very, they very much need that complete report. They really so, do. Okay. So you also mentioned here, I noticed on here, it says something about eases the burdens on agents. Can you tell me a little bit about what that really right. means? Well, know? I'm not qualified to speak on real estate law, and more than once this evening you may hear a disclaimer from me, but uh, I'm not an attorney and I don't play one on television, but I have, I have it on good authority that there is this disclosure requirement that agents have to do. Okay. And if an agent were responsible for each of the items that are in that disclosure, that would be pretty burdensome to expect a real estate agent to be knowledgeable on each of the systems in the house. We're going to talk a little bit about electrical, about plumbing, about structural, the roof really how can you be and still list and sell properties. There, there just simply isn't enough time. So it does. It eases the, the burden on, on the realtor. It gives the buyer a, a sense of peace of mind, I hope. If, if I give a very complete and thorough report, an accurate report, they know what they've got. And I think specifically what you're talking about is, is as far as disclosures go, there's two areas. One is where the seller when they get ready to list the property for sale, has to say, you know, these are the components that I have in the house, and mm -hmm. oh, by the way, these happen to be in good working order, or these are the problems that are associated with, which hopefully they're not disclosing because they corrected them before. And then I think what you're mentioning is the agent actually is supposed to be going through and doing a visual inspection of right. what they find that's wrong, right. and it's kind of helping them by saying, bring in somebody right. else who's hopefully going to catch those things that maybe I would miss. And you make, you make a good point also. Um, Maybe you could just hand me that binder so I can uh, hold that up. The, uh, many of uh, my colleagues in the business do a very thorough report such as this, which is basically a binder. It has uh, all of the findings that we have in the report, plus it's a reference manual on your house, but something that virtually any home inspector is going to call out, I'll keep this up here if you don't mind, okay, sure. is going to be both a list of the components in the house. Okay, you have this kind of plumbing, you have this kind of wiring, aluminum or copper, that's an issue we know. You have this kind of roof because each one of those components has its own maintenance issues and its own failure modes, if you will. Okay. So we're talking about components, this is what you've got on your property, and then do I find anything that I want to uh, advise you of? And sometimes it's a very 
good thing. By the way, did you know that your house was plumbed for either electric or gas dryer? That's a plus. Right. Okay. Yeah. Or the other thing that you say that's a very important factor is something where we have aluminum wire versus copper wire. Yeah. I happen to have a house that's like that, and I know that during the 70s that way, aluminum was very prevalent. And mm -hmm. for those of you that may not know, the problem with aluminum, it's cheap, but it's also very susceptible to breaking, and it's also very susceptible because it does break, it can cause fires. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of houses, I think probably in the 70s, in which they tried to save a lot of money mm -hmm. by putting a lot of aluminum wire in there. In the early 70s, it was we, we didn't really see it used much past the uh, early 70s. By the mid-70s, it had almost completely disappeared. And I think it was mainly because of a safety issue. I think it was The reason that it disappeared, yes. Yeah. It, it came about because really of a shortage of copper at the time. It was partly cost, but it was also a shortage of copper. Oh, you know? I, didn't, I didn't know that. Strategic I, materials <laughs> ebb and flow, you know. I didn't know that. Yes. I just basically thought that, that because I had worked with it, and yeah. I used to get really frustrated because I would strip the wire and go to put it around a connector, and if I had to remove it a couple more times, the next thing you know it broke off and if it was too close to the wall, now mm -hmm. you're out there you know, rewiring the entire house because the wire is too short. So anyway, you also said something about peace of mind. Yep. Uh, what, tell us a little bit about that. Well, for most folks, buying a home or, or real estate, real property, it's going to be the biggest purchase you make in your life. And, uh, and and there's always some measure of, of trepidation. Am I making the right decision here? You know, right. because there's I could buy this house or I could buy other ones in different areas and different age of homes, different features. And having this kind of information says, okay, now I, I know at least I can make an informed decision. I, I'm, I know what I'm buying. Right. And essentially what you're really saying is you don't want to buy a home and then all of a sudden after you buy it and find out that you've now got twenty or $30,000 worth of repairs because that could very well, especially it's, if it's obvious for you to find, that could have made a difference in which home you purchased. Ab you know, absolutely. Difference being a, whether it has a new roof that doesn't leak versus an old roof that does leak. Is this the thing we call uh, buyer's remorse? Buyer's remorse. <laughs> Okay, so the next thing we want to talk about is before we've identified the fact that, hey, you know, it's a good idea for us to, to get this inspection mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons, mainly because of the fact that a lot of us or some of us may not know how to correct some of these problems. I can think of other things that maybe I even myself can't correct, such things as having moisture between, you know, dual pane windows or having certain kinds of leaks or, you know, uh, I think we were mentioning before class got started, before the broadcast got started, you were talking about things like having loose insulation on, on heating and air conditioning mm -hmm. ducts that are caused by our friends called the rats and the mice that get underneath the house that can cause a problem. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the thing is, is that now we know that we need an inspector mm -hmm. so that we can save some money. How do we go about selecting somebody to, to do this? And I, and I really think this is... Um, this is an important part of what I want to bring to the class, and, uh, and that is if, if you... If you don't leave with anything else from this session, it would be it, most of the people who take this class are headed toward a career in real estate. They're going right. to be realtors. They're going to be buying and selling property. Or they're going to be like Donald Trump and make a lot of money in real estate. You know, Either way. Except that, that maybe they'll get along with Martha Stewart. They won't have the argument with Martha Stewart <laughs> right now. But anyway, go ahead. Um, I won't make any Ivana jokes, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Okay, so uh, if, you know, if you're going to be a real estate agent, you're going to be in the position of recommending or hiring recommending to your client typically the buyer by the way quick aside and that is uh, most of my clients are buyers the people who are buying real estate they want to know the condition of the house they're proposing to buy 
I do recommend, and particularly in the Bay Area, we're seeing more of it, of doing a home inspection for the selling party, for the listing agent, because then there are no surprises. Also very important in a hot market, because then, you know, you can present the, the home <clears throat> or the real property on the market as, quote, clean. You know, this deal is going to go through, it's going to sail through easily, because we're going to disclose everything, and there won't be any surprises. I, I've seen that happen with termite inspectors. I sold the house a couple years ago, and one of the things that uh, we did before we ever put it on the market was to have the termite inspection. Yep done because of the time compression. What we were concerned about is we knew the minute we hit the market that we had to get the financing deal worked out and we had to get it closed and we knew how difficult it would be if they did find some problems of hiring an inspector, uh, not an inspector, but hiring somebody to do repair work. Some of it I could do, some of it we couldn't right. do. So having that done ahead of time is really kind of important. It's important. Anyway. It, take, it takes the fun out of it because then no one can argue in the driveway anymore. No. <laughs> Go it. ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. So anyway, yeah. you talk about uh, you know selecting an inspector, and I think probably you said one of the most important things is is that we need to get you know references and recommendations. Mm -hmm. And um, how do we go about doing that? If we're, I, guess, I guess what's happening is clients are coming to us because we're in the business, we're in the real estate right. business, and we, you know, a typical client maybe will buy and sell a house every five or six or seven years and is not doing it on a weekly basis. So they're kind of looking to the agents for advice. So right. tell us a little bit about how that works. Right. So you as, as a, um, a listing agent or a selling agent uh, are likely going to be asked by, um, you're going to need to tell your, your client, you're going to need to have a home inspection. By the way, best of my knowledge, again with a disclaimer, I don't believe there's anything that requires a home inspection to be done in California. If the buyer says, no, no thank you, I don't want a home inspection, I'm fine, I want to save the money, they absolutely have that right to do so. Yeah, except for the fact though that now there is so much disclosure that the, that the buyer has to sign notifying them that, that, they, that, <coughs> that, this, that this opportunity is available. Right to the fact that in some of our textbooks will actually show where buyers have to sign a disclaimer saying that they have been advised to get a home right. inspector or a different type of inspection and covers all kinds of things, pools and everything else, mm -hmm. and that they have to sign a document <coughs> to say you've been told but you decided not to do it. Right. So it's that important because what the agency, the, the, the brokerage is trying to do is to say, listen, I do not want the buyer coming back to me later on with a problem and saying it's my fault. I want them to know that they can hire somebody to do this inspection and help them through that right. process. So anyway. So you as, uh, as say, the um, buyer's agent uh, are, are going to recommend a home inspection be done. And so nine times out of ten, the buyer will say, well, who do you recommend? Well, you need to be able to recommend someone. You need to have someone at the ready. Okay. So what I'm going to recommend is first that you select your home inspector based on their competence. Will they do a good job? Can they speak authoritatively about the issues that we're talking about here? If, um, as an example, if it's a new home, and, and I've done a number of inspections on brand new homes, never been lived in, and if the inspector finds something, can they, can they authoritatively go to the builder toe-to-toe -to -toe sometimes with the builder and say, it's wrong and you need to fix it, okay? Uh, they need to be able to have a pretty decent eye, okay? They need to be able to, to see the details, and they need to be able to ex explain in layman's terms exactly what's going on here and why the buyer cares. Okay, that's kind of at the top of my list. A person needs to be able to do that. They, uh, they also need to be able to work with you as an agent, as a team member, okay? Very important to, if, if, um, 
if Pat's the, the realtor and I'm his home inspector, that we don't get on each other's nerves. You know, that there's some good chemistry here that we can relate and that I can actually help him do the deal so that if an issue comes up and he says, Andy, what are we going to do about this? I can say, well, here's some things that have been done in the past and bring some help, some help and actually help to do that deal rather than get in the way of the deal. The, the, the words that home inspectors really do not like to hear is, you're a deal killer. Okay, no. Maybe the condition of the home killed the deal, but I don't want to be the one that's responsible for killing the deal. I want to present it objectively, and I think that's what you need in a home inspector. So how do you go about finding such a person? Okay, an excellent idea is recommendations. If you go to work in a real estate office, you're going to have other realtors in that office. Ask them who they like. Ask them who meet these criteria. By the way, if you're watching on television, these will be posted on Blackboard, my handouts, yes, right? Yes, yeah, all the handouts will be put up on the Blackboard website for both, uh, actually for both the real estate principles and the real estate practice, including the, uh, the um, PowerPoint presentation. It's just uh, for a matter of me getting it up there in the next day or so. Okay, so you'll have it available to you. So, so I won't necessarily touch on every point, but all of these are, are good suggestions. Look at, these, look at these criteria and say, does the individual whom I'm proposing to hire as a home inspector meet these criteria? I'm just going to skip ahead one slide and say, okay, um, and I mentioned the, the chemistry thing. Can you work with them? When you talk to this individual, interview them. Call, you know, if, you, if somebody hands you a business card and says, yeah, this guy Frank is pretty good, or this guy Francine is a pretty good gal. Uh, the, by the way, there are female home inspectors out there. They're relatively rare. Everyone I know does a good job, mm -hmm. okay? Um, does, you know, tell me how it is to, to work with this person, get their recommendation, and then call up that individual and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to be needing a home inspector here in the next few weeks, and, and tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me, you know, tell me what you look for. Tell me how the process works. When you talk to that individual, you should be able to get a sense, a, a, a click, does my personnel, is there, are, we gonna, are we gonna be able to mesh and work together? Um, and then, um, then finally, I, I'm gonna suggest that you, um, you know, once you found someone that you think sounds good, sounds like it's gonna be able to help you do the deal and help your client do, do well by your client, I'm gonna say, give them a try. Uh, I have had realtors who used me exactly once. Sometimes that makes me wonder why they only used me once, but I have no objection to somebody trying and saying, you know what, I like the guy I used or the gal I used before, I like them better, I am okay with that. I want the realtor to be happy with a home inspector they choose and call their favorite. I'm quite okay with that. Finally, I'm going to, uh, if you've got, I'm gonna tell you what some realtors do, and I'm not necessarily gonna recommend this as a practice. Some realtors have a list of three or four home inspectors whom they feel are well qualified. They hand the list to, to their client and say, you choose. The advantage is, hey, I didn't pick the home inspector. Not my fault that you, you got somebody you didn't like. The disadvantage is, in that list, you probably know that one of them is better than the others. I'm just saying this does happen. Some people do I it that way. I think the problem is, is a lot of people want to give people a list of, of you, know, ter you know, title companies, termite companies, home inspectors. The problem is, is that one has to keep in mind is that you're working with buyers and sellers who are not in the marketplace every day. And we put ourselves in this position a lot, like for example, if we buy a car, we go out and we look at cars, we're extremely knowledgeable about cars for those two or three weeks. And we buy the car, we check and make sure we didn't get taken advantage of, and then we don't look at cars anymore for a while. And the thing is, is that you really don't want, it's very difficult sometimes if you give people a list and say, here, call these people, and they're under all kinds of other kinds of pressures and decisions to make, 
and you know now you want them to call on three different title companies, four <coughs> different home inspectors, three different appraisers. It becomes difficult. So that's why I think they look to the agent and say, listen, I need your assistance. I have a regular job I have to do. I have to go to work. I have to earn money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Help me out here. Okay, so now that we've got the home inspector and we look at that, and that's just like quite a bit of the other things, the next thing we want to do is talk about, now when we do this, do we just do it verbally or is there some kind of an agreement we sign or how does that really work? Um, you know, you're already learning in your real estate classes that, th that this is a profession that's uh, heavily interwoven with a lot of legal stuff. And so I'm an independent uh, real estate inspector, which means I do not work for a company. I'm self-employed. I am a sole proprietorship. So when you deal with me, you do deal with my company. Okay, um, we're talking about a deal that the median home is between three and four hundred thousand dollars in in this area. Th that you know that's a third of a million dollar deal. We better get some things in writing. We better understand the the contract that I would ask you to sign if you were my client is an advantage to both of us. It's an advantage to you as a client because you know exactly what you're going to get. Candidly, it's an advantage to me because it's a, it's a measure of protection for me. These glasses are pretty good, but they don't allow me to see behind walls, under carpets, and into closed spaces. So I have to, I have to tell you contractually, this is a visual inspection. Okay? I'm going to tell you what I see. I can't comment on what I cannot see, and I can't comment on things that would require laboratory testing, things like the presence of mold, radon gas, asbestos. These things I can't see, so therefore I can't tell you about them in the space of a three or four hour inspection. Unless they're completely obvious. Like I saw a house on, uh, on one of the TV shows that uh, it was... This uh, old house? No, it was one of these flip your house type things, and what it was is the mold was so bad in the house, absolutely so bad that it was not only on the floors, it was on the windows. I mean, it was actually so, you know, you can see it. That would be something obvious, you know. And, in fact, in cases like that, I'm, uh, I'm never going to try to keep anything from my client. But, uh, but I'm not a microbiologist, and I can't identify mold. I can't tell you whether it's toxic or not. What I will say is, hey, I see some stains on the wall here, or it smells musty in the bathroom, and I'll take a picture of it, and the picture will be in my report. So, uh, and I will usually advise you, if I think it's an issue, I'll say, you know, you may want to go get some laboratory testing to see what's there, because the stuff can be toxic. It can make you sick. Yeah, and there are certain people uh, that will live in a house or buy a house, that that kind of stuff just drives them nuts. I mean, it's like our friends. That's the reason why at certain hotels you have smoking and non-smoking areas. If you take the people that don't smoke and put them, some of the people, and put them in smoking rooms, it drives them crazy. Yeah. It's the same thing like uh, cat hair, dog hair, anything. It'll drive them nuts. So anyway, we've you have something down here called CREIA standards and practice. What well, tell us about that? What that right. is? Uh, I belong to the California Real Estate Inspection Association. One of my criteria on a, on the prior slide was how you go about selecting somebody. By the way, I think um, I think that your inspector should be CREIA certified or certified by the American Society of Home Inspectors. Something to demonstrate that that individual has a minimum level of knowledge and competence, uh, in some cases a minimum level of experience, um, and that they are technically able to do the work. I personally am a member of CREA um, and, uh, and another home inspection uh, association. Uh, I subscribe to the CREA standards of practice. CREA, as a professional organization of generally real estate inspectors, has come up with a rather exhaustive list that's, that's in my comes with every copy of my report that says, this is what the inspector must inspect, this is what the inspector need not inspect. 
so I'm required as a minimum to inspect to those um, standards of practice. It says, okay, um, let's say I'm in your bathroom. I'm going to tell you that you have a cast iron bathtub, that it, it has porcelain on it, that you have a uh, sink that's let in, which means it comes up from underneath the counter, that you have copper plumbing, et cetera, et cetera, that you have ceramic tile on the floor and so forth. It tells you that I must call out each of those things. Um, it specifically says, I do, as an example, if I'm going around the room testing electrical outlets, I need not test every one. My standards of practice say, if hey, there's this beautiful credenza in front of that receptacle. I don't have to move the credenza. I don't want to break things. Many of the houses that I inspect are occupied at the time of the inspection. And for me to go diddling with the, uh, the present owner's personal belongings can be dangerous. It can also be expensive, and that's an expense I don't want to incur if I break something. So the standards of practice dictate what I must inspect and what I need not inspect. The other thing that you mentioned, too, and we wanted to make really clear, is the <coughs> fact that, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that the Cali state of California, at least, does not require you to have a license, which would be the same as having like a real estate license or an appraiser's license or whatever, which essentially means is unless we have these standards to work to, that uh, maybe I could get some business cards printed and decide I want to go in the home inspection business. And, you know, and if I don't belong to that organization, don't know what to do, I could go out and do home inspections and charge fees for them if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. So it's the, the association that sets the standards right. that enables us to then compare, which is really, really important. If we don't have a standard, then there's no way we can compare one versus the other. Very important. If we could move on to the next thing, Andy, let's tell us a little bit about um, kind of looking at things about their direction. Let's talk us about the process, how we go through this process. What do we do first, second, third, fourth? So what usually happens is that, uh, and as I say, I'd love to, love to work for the, for the listing agent and the uh, property owners as well, but for the buyers, what normally happens, like today I was at home cleaning up the office and the phone rang. Realtors on the other line says, Andy, I have a home for you to inspect. And I say, happy, happy, happy. That I, like that. I enjoy inspecting homes. So uh, I said, okay, so where is the home? How many square feet is it? What kind of roof does it have? Do I have to crawl underneath it? My prices are based on how much work I have to do. Be very open about that. You know, if I have to uh, crawl in the attic and on the roof and I have to inspect 5,000 square feet of house and crawl under two or three places, it's going to take me more time. I'm going to charge more money for it. So I get a little bit of an understanding over the phone about how much uh, work it's going to be. And I have a price list that's based exactly on those features of the home and then uh, learn where it is and we usually negotiate an inspection time and date what time would can you the realtor be there what time can your client be there usually the client comes in near the end of my work and then I show them the things that I find uh, and we set up a time and then when I arrive I have a contract for the buyers to sign or I email it or fax it to the realtor so that I can get their signature on that so that 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 demonstrates that that uh, the buyer knows what they're getting and I've been very clear in telling them what I'm going to offer in terms of, of my report. So uh, then we, uh, most inspectors can do about two inspections a day, so we either show up in the morning or show up in the afternoon. We do the inspection during daylight hours because uh, you know you need to to be able to, particularly if you're going to climb on the roof, you don't want to do that at midnight. Uh, some real estate deals happen at midnight, but uh, not home inspections usually. Um, so then um, the I arrive, the, typically the realtor let, lets me in. I do not, and most real estate uh, inspectors do not have a key to a lockbox. I frankly don't want it. I don't, I don't want to be bothered with the hassle or the liability of having one. So the real estate agent lets me in. 
I work. I start from the outside and work my way in. Climb the roof if I if I need to. Go around room to room inside, and then the last thing I do is crawl under it. If it's there's a sub area, and I crawl in the attic. Usually takes. I can inspect about a thousand square feet an hour, so I usually takes me three to four hours to finish the job. Three to four. Hours. Yeah, okay. and then in my case, I usually because my report. I think is very, very thorough. I usually provide it the next day. Many home inspectors uh, deliver it on the spot. They bring their computer and their printer and they deliver it before they leave. And, and I may do that someday, but today I'd rather do it in the comfort of my office. <laughs> now, do you actually say buyers should be present at the property for a presentation? What does that mean? Okay, so after I've gone from room to room, typically I take 100 to 130 digital photographs. About 30 of them actually end up in, in my report. And I find things that you need to be aware of. Say, hey, I was in the kitchen, and um, were you aware that the dishwasher doesn't work at all? Or, you know, I crawled under the, under the range top, and I noticed that uh, the wires are just hanging out there kind of bare, and that needs to be put in a junction box and closed up and protected, or dot, dot, dot. So I go from room to room, and I'll show the, the prospective buyers and say, I want you to see this. It's going to be in my report, and there'll be a picture of it, but I want you to see it firsthand, up close and personal, to understand why it's an issue. Then when they read the report, they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that now. So that's what that presentation is about. Now, in some cases, I don't do that. I'll say, uh, gee, I'm sorry, the, the buyers are, uh, they're both at work, and, and they simply can't show up. They, they're working in Fairfield, and they can't be there. Oh, okay, fine. So then we'll show up at the, uh, at the real estate office. I'll bring my report along, and I'll show them the photographs, and we'll just step through it. There are 10 sections in the report, one for every major system of the house. And we'll just talk about it until they have a thorough understanding of what's involved. What would be a major system in the house? Give me an example. Major system. Wiring, electrical is one system. Plumbing is another. HVAC, heating, ventilating, and air conditioning. Also in that same uh, one we put in uh, the fireplace in there. Plumbing. Okay, did I say plumbing? I think you may have said plumbing. Right? Say plumbing twice. Plumbing, plumbing is a big deal. Okay, that is a big <laughs> deal. <laughs> it's a big deal. Um, the, the roof and the structure. Very often we find things that uh, have been modified over time. Additions, remodeled, alterations, uh, structural changes have been made to the house. So every one of those, if there's a swimming pool, it gets its own section in the report. Okay, so you major find major system. Okay. Now, can you go through and give us some examples of what kinds of things that you look for, you know, and, 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 and talk a little bit about this? Uh, I think you brought in your presentation, you kind of try to take us from the outside in is what you're trying to do. So right. the whole idea here first is that you're driving up to the house in the front, and that's basically, right. I guess you could say, just like a buyer would, that's where their view of the house starts. That's why we always say to the uh, sellers of the house, the most important thing is, is the curb appeal. So it starts, I guess, at the curb appeal. Yeah. And in fact, as a real estate inspector, my inspection begins before I get, before I arrive at the house where, uh, that you're proposing to buy. My inspection starts at least a block away because what I'm looking for is what is typical in this neighborhood? What, what problems might I see with the house that I'm going to inspect this morning or this afternoon? Um, and um, let's see uh, if we can uh, switch to the slide, Bob, that oh, shows. It's up. Oh, it's up there. Okay, yeah, great. There. Okay, so uh, sorry about that. So this house, I don't know if you can see it, but where my cursor is right here is the street in front of the house. Down below, it's quite a large distance below street level, and that's a problem. 
that's the sort of thing that I noticed on this house before I even arrived. So as I, as I come into the neighborhood, I'm looking, what kind of roofs do we have? What kind of drainage problems are we going to have? How old are most of the houses in this area? What kind of roofs, you know, like maybe this is the last house in the neighborhood that still has a shake roof, okay? Um, so, so we are going to, so then we actually begin looking at the house and I get out of the car and walk around and take my pictures and I, and I look at the outside and I do my tour of the outside of the house, climb on the roof first, if, if that's possible. In this case, in the picture that's up, you can see this is a concrete tile roof and I'm not going to be climbing on that, uh, though some inspectors do and I don't argue with them. Um, uh, I just don't want to take the risk of breaking somebody's roof, so I don't do it. Now, for those of us that have walked on a tile roof of any kind at all, we all know <laughs> that how easy it is to crack those because essentially what happens is, is that the concrete itself is extremely heavy and the way that they get the weight down is that they take stuff out from underneath it that you can't see. In fact, the funniest thing that I've ever seen is, is that I had a roof done on a house, a tiled roof. And, of course, you know, they, we had a problem where there was a, a leak, and I called the, 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 um, the uh, roofer out. And uh, I don't know why it was maybe a bad day for him, whatever happened, but he said to me, have you ever walked on this roof, or you know how to walk on this roof? And I said, yeah, you remember you showed me how to walk on a roof, you know, when you put the roof on. And he said, well, I don't know, somebody might have been up here. And he turns around, this is the expert roofist, turns around and stands on the part of the roof you shouldn't and cracks the shingles. Okay, so it was kind of funny to even know that even a professional that actually installs the roof can turn around and make a mistake. So tile roofs, are, I would probably say that it's been my experience that the, probably the only roof that you can walk on without really doing any damage, if it's fairly new, is a composition roof. Sure. Shake roof, you can knock the shingles out of. Tile roof, you can crack. Um, and a lot of people also don't know that the only purpose of that tile is to keep the tar paper underneath it away from the sun so it doesn't crack <laughs> because it's really the tar paper, that roofing uh, membrane that actually keeps the rain out, you know, so that's what's important. Now you talked about trip hazards, irrigation, tell us a little bit about that stuff. So as I'm making my tour around the outside and I, I, I try to do my inspection in a systematic way, I generally start at one corner, typically the side of the yard opposite the, the, the gate and that's often in, <clears throat> in the Sacramento area where the electrical service, where your panel is, Take the cover off that and look in there, and then continue around the outside going clockwise or counterclockwise. Why would everything. you be looking in this electrical panel thing? What would you find? Well, a number of things. As, as I mentioned, it's common for a house, anything older than about uh, one month old, to have been modified, either by a licensed contractor who, who knew what they were doing and had a building permit, or somebody who um, uh, thinks they know how to do it and doesn't think they need a permit. And so what we find is we find all kinds of additions made on the panel. We take the panel off and we say, oh, there's some extra wires here that weren't here to begin with. And by the way, it's generally pretty easy for an inspector to see what was original construction and what was a later addition or modification. So we look there and we want to make sure that no breakers are um, carrying more current than they're designed to. The wire color, the color coding on the wire is correct. That there's no physical damage. Inspected one not too long ago where there had been an exciting explosion in the main panel and there were charred remains of what used to be part of the, the insulating plastic. That was oh, wow. exciting. Um, so we look for all of those kinds of, of problems uh, it, it, on the electrical panel. We also look at the overhead as the wire comes, if it's an overhead service entrance, we look, at, is it proper? I inspected one not long ago where everything was okay. They'd done an okay job. 
but the electrical wires that came into the residence was perhaps 10 feet above a swimming pool. Okay. Not a good idea. Oh, you mean the wires were above the swimming pool? Directly above. So that could cause an electric. Uh, uh, get out there with a, a nice aluminum-handled brush to clean down the sides of the pool, and you, uh, it could ruin your whole day. Could. Yeah. And so. so some of the other things you're looking for is trip hazards. Well, right. Tell us one thing that I'm always curious about, this thing called tree root problems. Give us an example of where well, that is. Well, there's a couple of biggies with tree, tree roots. Of course, you can trip over them. Um, tree roots in this area, this is a somewhat arid air area, easy for me to say, and the tree roots tend to come to the surface where they can get water to, to grow. Okay, so they make ugly bulges in your lawn. You can trip over them. There are other problems. They also can make ugly bulges in your concrete driveway and sidewalks. Not a good thing. Uh, driveways are expensive to repair, folks. They really are. Um, and, and finally, maybe the worst thing that tree roots can do is, and you see this on older homes, 20, 30, or mm, maybe even 50 years old, where we got back to not using the kind of uh, hermetically sealed sort of sewer drain pipes, uh, those tree roots can invade cast iron and some of the older building materials. They'll grow right into the sewer system, and once that's begun to happen, yes, Roto-Rooter makes a wonderful living cleaning out roots, but they just keep coming back. So that will, keep, that will continue to happen until the system is replaced. You want to know about that if you're buying a home. So on an older home, I, and I see you know, tree roots, and they're always planted directly over the drain line that runs out to the, to the street sewer system. So now we look at fences, and uh, I did, I did want to emphasize, uh, <clears throat> on the slide it says, um, you know, in real estate there are three important things, location, location, location. What I look for on the outside of the house is drainage, drainage, and drainage, because water is always the enemy of your house. We can keep the water away from your house, draining away from your house. We've got half the battle right there. So I wanna, I'd like to see that the water always runs away from the house quickly and gets its way to the street or some drainage system. And this particular house that's shown in the slide, that was troublesome. There, in fact, uh, I inspected the house after some fairly heavy rains, and there was standing water in the area of the front porch. And I think the buyer happened to make a very wise decision. The buyer hired, a, didn't hire, asked a landscape contractor to come out and say, what will it take to fix this? And landscape architect or landscaper or contractor gave us some very good suggestions on what we could do. So that's when I say, hey, I'm out of my league here. I'm not a landscape architect. I'm, I'm not a landscape contractor. You need the advice of someone who really knows how to handle drainage to tell you just the solution that you need. Yeah, because sometimes that, uh, the area, even if it's bushes, you'll get them so wet that they'll never actually ever grow or they're too much moisture or, or touch wood or whatever. It's damaging to everything. Okay, what, what's another area that we need to be concerned about? Here? So then uh, after we've made our tour of the outside, if it's, uh, if it's a roof I, I can walk on, like uh, you're absolutely right, composition, or in some cases the, sh the shake, the wooden roof, I walk on it and I'll, I'll, I'll look for um, basically places where th there's an opportunity for water to get in. But then we also look at the siding and wood around the house. Um, one, of my, you know, one of the many disclaimers you're going to hear this evening, I'm not a pest inspector. That is a different licensed occupation in the state of California. So I cannot tell you legally, oh, you have dry rot, you have, dot, you have termites, dot, dot, dot. I can point out and say, hey, I see wood deterioration here, and I recommend you talk to a pest inspector. But um, the slide will show that the, this particular example is a stucco siding. Stucco is very common in the Sacramento area. You see a nice big old crack, and that crack originates at the corner of a window. Very common location for that. 
And so my recommendation in this particular case was, hey, all you really need to do is just put some caulk in there and seal that up. We do not want water to get into the wall cavity. Very bad thing, because water is always the enemy of your house. And that would be the second thing you take away from this presentation. Mm -hmm. So seal that up. And we look around, uh, we look all around the siding and the trim and see that everything is in good, good sound condition. Sometimes I recommend little spot painting, to, again, to seal things up and to caulk around windows and doors. Can we talk about something called roof life? Tell us a little bit about mm -hmm. that. Um, it's, uh, um, I'm not a roofing contractor, and I hope you don't get tired of the disclaimers, but as uh, Dirty Harry said, a man's got to know his limitations. <laughs> uh, so I'm not a roofing contractor. I can't tell you how long your roof is going to last. I can tell you specific things that will cause your roof to fail early. Typically on composition and wood roof, we'll see fungal growth. We'll see the moss grow and begin to invade the wood. We'll see the gutters need cleaning. We'll see the, what is called the keyhole, which is the, the distance between tiles or uh, composition shingles or wood shingles, begin to fill up with debris that needs to be cleaned out. I can tell when a roof is, be is beginning to near the end of its useful life. What I often do is judge not how long the roof is going to last, but I'll say, hey, the roof is in pretty decent shape. And I think it would qualify for a two to four, maybe even five-year roof certification. I'd recommend you get that roof cert. And that's a fairly common thing to do, is you basically pay a roofing contractor to guarantee the roof. Typically, they'll want to do some minor repairs to get things just right. And they'll say, yes, this roof will go to two, three, or more years. And I will guarantee it if it fails during that period of time, I'll come out and fix it. And that's another peace of mind thing that I like to recommend. I think that's a good thing. Okay, let's talk about uh, something else. I think you had something here. Oh, electrical. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay. I, lear I learned that that's not something you're supposed to say as a home inspector. You're, you're never supposed to look at some feature of the house and go, <gasps> oh, my goodness. <laughs> but this might be one. <laughs> what you see here is uh, wires uh, hanging in the breeze. Okay. In this particular case, uh, some modifications had been done, and this yard light, which used to be here, um, uh, had been had been removed uh, for who knows what reason, and uh, the wires on the other side of the wall had been disconnected and properly terminated. But it does give you a little bit of a uh, of a scare when you see that. Not only is this a potential electrical hazard, it could be a hazard if those wires were live, uh, but now we're minus a yard light, and so this corner of the property isn't illuminated at, at night, and, and that's a, that's a safety issue. My my findings very often focus on health and safety issues. I do not want someone to be hurt. I do not want someone to be injured in, in a home that I've inspected. By the way, one of the satisfying things about my profession is there's a very good chance that somewhere along the line I may have saved a life, I'm, or more, or more than one. Mm -hmm. I may never know, but I, but I find these kinds of things sometimes as obvious of, as this, other times not obvious at all, that could have killed somebody or injured somebody. That gives me a feeling of, of job satisfaction. You know, and yeah. you can see where if somebody leaves something like that off, what would happen is if maybe they took it off and they just turned the circuit breaker off. And then uh, typical thing is, is a lot of times, like in a home, people, especially in the wintertime, will use like the hair dryer and they'll turn the uh, little space heater on. And as soon as they do that, it blows the circuit breaker because they're pulling all that power through that one breaker. And they go out, and usually this typical thing that a homeowner will do will be turn off the breaker or reset it and turn it on and go, oh, by the way, there's another one here that needed to be reset. They'll turn that on. And I think like he was saying, if you're cleaning or you're doing something and you touch that those wires with metal contact, you could have one of two things. If you happen to have a weak heart, you can get killed. 
the second thing that could happen is it could spark and you could actually end up with something causing a fire, especially if you integrate that with something like a gas leak, it'll blow your house up. So I guess it's really kind of important that you know that. We also find a lot of uh, miswired outlets. Houses built until the mid-60s often didn't have the third pin. We don't have an outlet handy. Yeah. The, that third pin at the bottom, which is for grounding, and that's for safety purposes. Uh, the house wasn't wired with a ground, but because people got tired of using those silly adapters, they just put in the, but they never added the ground. They put in the third pin receptacle and never added the ground. Yeah. We see that very common. And there is a reason why they have that ground there. That ground is to provide the path of least resistance, so that if there's a choice between either go, killing you or killing going and blowing the circuit breaker, it blows the circuit breaker. So there is a reason why that, and people don't understand that. They just cut them off or they don't hook the wires up. Anyway, you had something, I guess, on my next favorite subject, which happens to be something to do with plumbing. Plumbing. We see a lot of issues, and remember, I'm going to say it again. Uh, water is the enemy of your house, and as long as water stays where it belongs and where it's supposed to be, everybody's happy. But plumbing, we have leakage is one of the things we really care about. And leaks can go, um, you know, minor leaks can go undetected for a good long time. Uh, the problem is they, they, you know, like, and a very common one we see is where a toilet will lose the wax ring that seals it to the drain, the sewage drain line, okay? And if that house is on a raised floor, then the water seeps out. and You might not know it. The linoleum or the tile won't lift right away. Uh, and soon water, the subflooring, which is wood, often two by six in the older homes, will be completely saturated. And then because that water is dirty, the mold and microbial growth will begin until finally, um, I have seen situations where toilets have fallen through to the, the ground underneath the house. So we go looking and uh, I, I look very hard for evidence of water leak. Uh, also, uh, older homes particularly, we can find problems with uh, slow flow, you know, low pressure, you turn the water on and it just dribbles out. Or you fill up the, the sink and open it up and it doesn't drain quickly. It'll take, you know, half an hour to drain out. Those are all things we look for and, and talk about. I had a plumber uh, tell me probably a couple months ago, and this sounds terrible, but they said that Land Park happens to be the plumber's retirement uh, program. And the reason why is there, there are a lot of homes that were built which use the old galvanized pipe. Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening is the galvanized pipe, the rust keeps growing and growing, and the, the diameter or the inside diameter of the pipe eventually closes, and people are wondering why their water pressure goes down. Well, it has to do with the size of the pipe keeps getting smaller. And the reason why the plumber said that is because of the fact that they charge, have a standard fee of going in and replacing what's necessary with copper pipe because of that, uh, that growth in there, that rust that happens. So anyway, uh, going on from there, we have something else where we're showing something about uh, general interior or whatever. What was that? So that's one of the systems that we have in the house, plumbing and wiring, and then just the interior. A uh, lot, of, lot of things we find. Um, as we mentioned at the beginning of the talk this evening, um, the components in a house, what you build the house of, are becoming more complex. We're seeing more and more technology. One of those technologies is the dual-pane window, where you have a layer of glass and a, a gas uh, a dry gas and then another layer of glass on the outside and the idea is it's very difficult for heat to propagate through that center section filled with uh, a gaseous material and so the window becomes a very good insulator. The difficulty is as the sun, sun shines on that uh, window it warms the gas and the gas wants to grow and expand and get out. If the seal around the circumference of the window becomes defective that gas will leak out. That in itself is not a problem 
until the sun goes down and then the gas cools and it draws in moisture, the enemy of your house. Once the moisture is in, the glass cools and that moisture, that water condenses on one or both of the inner uh, surfaces of that dual pane window. And when that happens, it's really ugly. Uh, it also probably diminishes the insulating value of, of that glass as well. So that's something, by the way, for those of you who see that, there is um, purportedly a repair process out there. I've talked to the individual who I think has a process patent on how to do it. And um, he tells a very convincing story. Yeah. Uh, I saw a sign just recently about uh, a couple days ago, one of those signs that are on the side of the road and said, don't replace your dual mm -hmm. pane windows, call me and I can fix them. So He's, the, he's the guy. He's and the I, guy. I've seen some of his work and I, I asked him specifically, I said, uh, so um, what, what proportion, I figured this was a good test question, you know like when you interview a home inspector or a real estate inspector, I'm interviewing the glass guy and saying, so uh, how often do you have to honor a guarantee? He said, we've done how many tens of thousands in the Sacramento area? He said, I think we've had three or four. That was a pretty good testimonial. So we have, uh, again, we're always looking for health and safety issues. Um, point, so, I'd like you to point out that one thing there on the garage door yeah. that you were talking about before. This is, um, you may not be able to tell, but this is the homeowner's uh, toolbox. This is the uh, homeowner's ladders, typical cluttered garage. Homeowner's done some modifications here. There's no cover on there. But what I really care about in this picture is that this is the door into the house. This is a garage out here. This is residence in here. Notice that door is standing open. That door ought not to be standing open. Garages have cars, automobiles with gasoline in them. They probably have a gas water heater. Uh, those are places where fires can start. If the fire starts in the garage, we want to contain it in the garage. So this door, which is standing open, should not be standing open. It should have closed on its own hinges of its own accord. The test that I do uh, is that I walk through that door as though I had bags of groceries under each arm and the door wants to close behind me. Not to hit me too hard, but right. to close behind me right. and latch. Okay, so that's a, that's a big a big deal because we do not want the fire propagating from the garage into the living space. Right. This is a firewall, and that door is fire rated. It should be able to withstand a one hour fire for one hour, which doesn't keep your house from burning down, but it gives the fire department time to get there, put out the fire, and rescue the occupants. Or time for <coughs> you to escape out of the house yeah. and hopefully yeah. save your life and your family or whatever. Which is, by the way, another thing that we look for inside, um, we, uh, we look for means for people to get out. There is a minimum size of window in the bedrooms so that uh, you can get out in emergency or the fireman can get in to rescue you. So the windowsill height ought not to be too high and you ought to have enough area in the window to get out or to have the fireman come in and rescue you. And if there's bars on the windows like some of our friends do, uh, we need to make sure we can get in and out of there. Bars are okay as long as they have an emergency quick release. And um, so that, I, I am always troubled by bars. I had a, uh, a colleague who said uh, it always amazed him how people would rather burn to death than to be burglarized. Yeah. And uh, apparently so, because uh, safety bars are a big deal. Let's move on to a couple other sure things. We, we want to talk uh, real quickly about uh, inspection of uh, pools and spas. There's, uh, there's an awful lot to see on a pool. And by the way, on my price list, that's something I charge extra for. It means more work for me. It means uh, um, higher price. Uh, the one thing that I really, really pay attention to, uh, water and electricity, they, they can live side by side and peacefully coexist, but we have to be very careful to keep the electricity where it needs to be and the water where it needs to be. 
Wa electricity flowing through water can absolutely electrocute you in, in very unpleasant ways. So I look for every proximity of water and electricity together. I look to make sure that circuits are protected by GFCIs, ground fault circuit interrupters, that the elect electrical systems are properly uh, grounded, and that we have there are a number of safety precautions we take to protect things electrical. I pay I, I really go after that like a bloodhound. Uh, now we have a couple more minutes to go, maybe another five or seven minutes. So let's go to the next one, which mm -hmm. we we're talking about. Uh, this is a typical um, installation most people don't realize in the, in the kitchen. And if you just take a minute and explain, this is something sure. that typically you may find. Um, what you often find is uh, dishwashers um, in a kitchen. And, and you'll see this little widget on top of the, that's a technical term, by the way, that, widget, you know, home inspectors can use that term. This little widget on top of the sink is called an air gap. And the whole purpose is that when the dishwasher goes on its drain cycle, it pumps water up to this air gap. <clears throat> it flows around an opening, open to uh, the air, and then, then down into the disposal. There's a reason for that, and the plumbing uh, we, I say building standards rather than codes, we may get into that. Uh, building standards say that there shall be an air gap between potable, drinkable water, clean water, and dirty water. Water in the garbage disposal is dirty. Water coming out of the dishwasher is relatively clean. What you do not want to happen is dirty water from the disposal where you grind up your garbage to run downhill into the dishwasher. So we run it uphill into the air gap, we break that flow with an air gap that is over the sink, and then down into the disposal and out. A lot of times people will plummet straight into the disposal, or they'll plummet up to the air gap and leave the plug in the disposal where water flows into the sink rather than into the disposal. There are probably at least a half a dozen ways this can be done wrong, and only one way to do it right. Oftentimes people will say, oh, there's this cool hole in the sink. I'm going to put a soap dispenser there. Wonderful thing to do, and you still need to have the air gap. Right. Okay. And I think you were mentioning, too, is, is that if you don't have that right, if you, run, if you run it directly to the dishwasher, what happens is when you drop your food down there and grind it up in the garbage disposal, what it does is it transfers all of that stuff from the garbage disposal directly into your dishwasher. So you had clean dishes <laughs> once. <laughs> now you've got dirty dishes. All right. Give us an example. You were talking about a bathroom. This is something that I think that's really interesting. Oh, yeah. Hopefully you guys can see this at home. It's a little bit dark of a picture, but it's important, and Andy will explain what it is. This happens to be a, uh, I guess it, we, we would say an oval-shaped tub. Officially, this is known as a Roman tub, reminiscent of the Roman baths of uh, ancient times. This is also what um, real estate inspectors call a target-rich environment. Let me count the defects. Let me count the things that are wrong here. The one that I'm really worried about from a health and safety standpoint is this is a huge pane of glass. Now, whether or not it was in, in this particular case, this pane of glass needs to be safety glass. Uh, as you stand up in the tub, you can see that you could readily slip. And if you fall, you're going to fall right through that pane of glass. This one also needs to be safety. This one needs to be safety. Any glass in this area needs to be safety glass, okay? Uh, where you see the red circle, the, in this case, the hot and cold were interchanged. And so, oh my gosh, you, get, you step in and you say, that's a little hot. And so you turn on what you think is the cold water on, on the right, and it turns out to be the hot water, and you scald yourself even worse. So we do care about that. Um, also... There were cracks in the grout and cracks in the tile, and there was fungus and mold, and it needed caulking. There was just a, this is a wonderful thing. This is a 
this was a split level home and you can't see it but underneath here I could crawl well just down to where my cursor is I couldn't crawl all the way in there's a p-trap what some folks call a gooseneck in the drain right under under the drain right here I couldn't get to it which means if it ever leaks neither can the plumber bad idea so this was an interesting bathroom it was like a, this when I found this picture I said gee this describes everything everything all in a single picture that can go wrong in a bathroom could you just show us that one that you were showing me about the chimney? I think it's maybe a couple slides ahead. <laughs> okay. uh, there it is. <laughs> yeah. And this happens to be, um, this is a chimney that's not standing anymore, if I understand that right. <laughs> I did not inspect this home. I borrowed this from a friend of mine, a good, a, a good buddy who knows chimneys better than anybody in the world. And he's got thousands of chimney horror stories, but um, this does happen. Uh, essentially what's happening here is that the inside of the chimney because of the fire eventually the mortar wears away or get, becomes I guess you could say susceptible to cracks we finally get the day where we have a strong wind and the wind knocks the entire chimney down or the tree falls yeah. on the chimney and knocks it down and you don't see a lot of that in this this part of the country right. but back east there's a lot of homes that believe it or not that they swear that George Washington slept in you know that's kind of a joke back there but basically what happens is, is there are a lot of homes that were built in the 17 and the 1800s that have multiple fireplaces in them. And what you find yourself constantly having to do is to go through and repair these fireplaces because this kind of a situation is going to happen. So anyway, the last thing that we want to kind of emphasize here is just the inspection report. So if we can talk a little bit Good. about that. Again, I said uh, when I began, what I want to do and what you should inspect, expect from your uh, real estate inspector is a balanced report, one that gives you all the information that the client needs to know to make a wise, informed decision about buying the property, that highlights all the health and safety issues, but doesn't present that in a way that's going to say, oh my gosh, I have to run as fast as I can from this home. There is no perfect home out there. Also, there's no problem in your home that can't be repaired with a checkbook. Okay. That's true. So we want to make sure that we're not a deal killer or that we're, we're right. actually doing things in a very proactive way so that if we do find something, we can say, yes, this is a problem. Yes, we can get it corrected. And uh, is there anything in there, Andy, in case anybody has any questions that they would be able to get in contact with you at all or anything? Do we have your... Uh, yes. Do we have a slide there for that? I do not have a slide other than the inspector slide. Uh, however, on, on bulletin board, you will have a copy of... On Blackboard. Oh, my, I'm sorry, Blackboard. On Blackboard. <laughs> Blackboard. You'll have a copy of my uh, brochure. Thank you. You'll have a copy of my brochure, my cell phone number, my office number, my email are all on there, and I would be happy, very happy, to receive a, a contact from any student at any time. Okay, that's really good. So if anybody has, as you do, whether you're buying a house or yourself personally or you're working with a client out there or whatever it's a good idea to have a home inspection we're seeing more of it when you take a look at a lot of the disclosures that clients are having to sign now they're literally having to sign that either they are aware that they that there's an ability for them to get these inspections done or they have to decline it and a lot of real estate brokerages to make sure to keep themselves clear their attorneys are recommending that they actually have a form in which the client personally sits there and declines that inspection to protect the agent, if you will. And with that, Andy, I'd like to thank you very much for coming. Really appreciate it. And hopefully, uh, we'll have you back again. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the chance to be okay. here. Thanks, Pat.